This week, it's fate. It's destiny. It's a sign. I'm sick, and it's changed the contours of my voice, and yet I'm, I'm not mad at it? Embrace serendipity. Lean into it. It's Jules and James, coming up right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. My voice is kind of shot, so I'm going to keep this brief. How do you feel about life-changing chance encounters? Do you like the film Amelie? Or how about Before Sunrise? Then you'll love Jules and James, a series of intercepted phone calls between an American painter in Paris and an English filmmaker in London. Their conversations range from philosophical to touching to infuriating. Sometimes I want to hit James with a stick. He can be so smug. But I couldn't stop listening. Jules and James is a production of Through the Fourth Wall, a multimedia company out of the D.C. area, to which, hey, a little personal news, I shall soon be moving with Jillian. I'm going to be living that hashtag remote work life, baby. Okay, enough about me, enough stress on my gorgeous throatal region. This is episode one of Jules and James. Jules and James, episode one. Hello? Oh, sorry, I'm looking for Emma. Are you with her? Uh, no. N- no, can't say I am. Um, I don't know any Emmas. Uh, okay. Wait, wait, no, that's not true. I did know an Emma, uh, but that was way back in elementary school. Uh, look, that's just fine. Sorry, I think I've dialed the wrong number, so thanks, but um, uh, No, wait, go. wait, wait. Sorry, wait. I- I'm really in a real hurry right now, and I need to find Emma now, like this instant. Why do you need to find Emma? One second. We found her. We have found Emma. You've been really kind in that lovely American way, and I'm going to be really politely British now and um, hang out. But you have a sign. You're my sign. Sorry, the sign for for what? I I know I shouldn't have asked um, that. Why should I ask that? You're the sign that I should stay here, that I, I guess that I'm meant to be here. I'm in Paris. Um, I'm not in Paris. Yeah, but okay. I, this is stupid. I, I was packing my phone, or when my phone rang, and then I, I was packing everything up, my paints, wrapping my canvases. I bought my train ticket, and then I said, I need a sign to keep me here in Paris. I, I need a sign. And I, I don't know, I couldn't think of a sign, you know, so... I mean, what would that sign even be? I'm, to be honest, I'm not really one for signs. That's not something I usually do. But, but then I decided the split second before you called, I decided if my phone rings, I'm meant to stay. I'm, I'm meant to continue painting. I'm meant to live in Paris. Um, I'll just get one more minute. Listen. Uh... Uh, James. My name is James. I, my friends call me Jimmy, but it's more of an inside joke. <laughs> You're kidding, right? Your name is Jimmy. James. Jim. Yeah. Not an unusual name. I... No, my name is Jules. Well, it's very nice to meet you, Jules. Even if you think my name is comical, I, I happen to like <laughs> your name. I... <laughs> you don't get it. I'm Jules. You're Jim? I, technically, I go by James, and my buddies like to call me Jimmy. 
No, the film, Jules et Jim, Truffaut, the reason I make films. Okay. All right. Uh, about 10% of that made sense to me. You're not a film buff. No. But I am an artist. Why are we still talking? You're a wrong number. And you're a sign. I, I don't know. I've never actually met a sign. I mean, signs have never really worked before, but here you are. <laughs> a real-life sign speaking to me with this great British accent. Uh, well, it's my voice. I'm not putting it on. And you've literally changed the trajectory of my entire life. I mean, I think that's worth a, a quick chat. I think you're literally wrong. It's possible. I have a confession. I'm listening. It's absurd, but your name, Jim, Julia Jim, that film is the whole reason I make films now. And the film I'm making now is, are you still there? Of course. So the film I'm making now is just leaving me with a lot of doubts. And today when Emma didn't show up on time, I thought, you know what, fuck it. And Emma's just one small thing in a sea of small things that have happened while I've been working on this film. And I just started thinking, maybe I shouldn't be making films at all. Maybe this film is idiotic and I'm wasting my time and I should just go and be a... I should just go and... A teacher? Be... A teacher, yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking before you called. Maybe I'll become a teacher. No, I wasn't thinking teacher. To be fair, I wasn't thinking much of anything besides, am I terrible at making films? Is that why all these things keep going wrong? And then I called you, and your name is Jim. James. Right, and anyhow, it felt like a sign for me too, I guess, um, when you told me your name, James. Not a sign, sign, more like a reminder of Truffaut, of art, of what I love. <laughs> you know, you can forget that when you're muddled in the business of making art. You forget why you love something, because you start to drown in self-doubt. Yes. Yes, yes, that's it. Exactly. The, this inner critic. Well, I think it's clear that the universe has conspired to connect us so that we may each continue to create debatably fine works of art. <laughs> you never told me the name I, of your movie. Oh, um, Does the Moon Dream of the Sun at Night? And? And what? Does the Moon Dream? Oh, very <laughs> <laughs> funny. Look, it's been really surprisingly lovely to chat with you, but now this meet cute must meet its conclusion. This what? Meet cute. It's you know, it's a term in films and books when two characters meet in an adorably unlikely way and live happily ever after. Except we're not I don't know, we're not meeting and who knows if I'm cute. I I could be a total troll. Well it's not really the point. It's just don't worry, it's just film jargon. Did Jules and Jim meet cute? <laughs> Jules and Jim are both men. You know, best of friends uh, in love with the same woman. That sounds, uh... Yeah, I uh, know. But ultimately, it's beautiful. Yeah. That doesn't really sound beautiful. <laughs> well, no, but it's intimate and messy and sad and romantic and joyful and tragic and just a bit like real life, no? Hmm. 
Maybe I'll watch it. You should. Then I will. You, you never told me what your movie is about. Oh, it's an experimental film. Avant-garde. I feel like I should clarify that to set expectations. <laughs> you don't have to set expectations. I like that you say film instead of movie. Um, well, film makes me think of artistry, I guess, as the actual film used to bring pictures to life. Movies make me think of those terrible, big-budget Hollywood productions filled with violence and stupidity. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. <laughs> so tell me um, tell me about your film. Are you mocking me now? <laughs> no, not at all. Fine. My film is about two people who fall in love even though they occupy, occupy, occupy rather, slightly different versions of Earth. It's, it's like magical realism. Sci-fi. No, not sci-fi. Possibly borrows some sci-fi tropes, I suppose. What if we... You and I occupy two different versions of Earth. How cool would that be? Um, truthfully, that sounds terrifying. Also, I probably wouldn't be able to just call you up on your mobile if we were on different planets. Point. But maybe... Look, I feel really confident that we're not on the same... We are both on the same planet right now. Okay. <laughs> How did these two interplanetary people meet? Was it a meet-cute? No, that'd be a bit complex given that they were they're on different planets. Yeah. So letters. They meet through a misdelivered letter. Stop. You're making this up. Well, I mean, yeah, I did make it up. I wrote the script, so it was my idea. No, you misdialed your phone and met me. Well, first of all, we haven't met. We're only chatting over the phone while my crew sets up the next shot. Second of all, we're not having a romance. We're just having a conversation between two people who are clearly in need of a distraction from their real life. And third, we're on the same planet. Yeah, you keep mentioning that, but like, it really would be cool if... Yes, well, yes, it would not. be cool in theory, which is why I wrote the story in the first place. But you said it would be terrifying if it were true. Oh. James, the story is cool in theory only. Otherwise, it's freakish and completely disrupts everything we know to be true, which would, I don't know, which could... Which would... What? Well... I think we have to at least leave this on the table. Leave what on the table? That we're on two different versions of Earth right now. <laughs> Are there any significant differences between your Earths in this film? Um, one Earth has two moons in its orbit. See? See? There are two moons here on my Earth, and they're, they're always quarter moons. <laughs> Slivers in the sky, visible day and night. That was very funny, James. <laughs> it's worth a shot. Gives me an idea for a new series. The series I guess I was supposed to be working on until I decided to call it quits. Series of paintings. Yes. Unless you feel like I'm ripping you off, in which case I promise not to use the idea. Oh, no. Hardly the first person to imagine planets with multiple moons. 
Actually, many planets have multiple moons, so I guess. Yep, but Earth with multiple moons. It's really not terribly original on my part. I don't know, either way, you're welcome to use the idea. I'm envisioning, I guess, these two planets, nearly identical, floating side by side in space. And the moons, you know, thank you. I mean, really, thank you. Oh. <laughs> it's like so simple. And then the ideas are, yeah, I don't know. You've just given me so many ideas. I mean. Oh, well, <laughs> happy I could be of service. Maybe I can um, I don't show you my sketches. I mean, when they're done, after I actually make them. Um, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> that sounded that sounded kind of crazy. I'm sorry, we don't even know each other. I don't know why I. Um, <laughs> I I'm not crazy. I, <laughs> or maybe I am. I don't. Who knows what? What's that saying? If uh, I guess if you if you think you're crazy, you probably. If you think you're not crazy, you probably are, right? That's the one. I don't know. I think we're all a touch crazy, right? Like, especially artists. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I'm also a um, poet. You're also a what? Poet. Oh, God. I can't believe I said that out loud. I pretend you didn't hear that, okay? I'm I'm not a poet, okay? Okay. I mean, I I mean, I write poetry. But I put it in my paintings, literally, and I I use the word correctly this time. I write these poems on the <laughs> canvas, and, and they're not even very good. But it's just something that I don't know. I think adds. Okay, sounds, sorry, that I, just, I was going to say that sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, I'm a complete walking, talking, living, breathing cliche, aren't I? I don't know. I suppose it depends which planet you're on. Maybe on your Earth with the two moons, it's very unusual to be a painter and a poet living in them. So is it Paris? Yeah. And you're in Paris too, right? Emma and I must have a similar number, I'm guessing. Sorry, one second. Yeah, I'm going to call. Wait a minute. Uh, yeah, the white tool skirt, please. Hi. Sorry. No, I'm in London. Uh, we're shooting in London. Emma lives in Paris. Oh. I'm borrowing her for a while to be my DP. DP? A director of photography, uh, like a cinematographer, camera woman extraordinaire. Ah, got it. You really don't watch films, do you? No. No, I'm really more of a book guy. Oh, no. You're one of those. One of what? You know, that type who turns their nose up at TV and claims they've never owned a television set and can't name a single program. Yeah, guilty. <laughs> But not out, of, not out of any kind of pretension, I promise. Oh, is there any other excuse? <laughs> well. Oh, this should be good. Okay, now this is this is just off the top of my head, so I guess be patient. Mm -hmm. But it's too passive. TV and film are too passive. I like to be, you know, actively engaged. You know. Okay. Like. When I'm painting, my mind is constantly working, thinking ahead to the next step. I, or when I'm reading, 
I have to paint the picture of the story in my mind, you know, like I'm creating what's happening inside my head instead of being spoon fed how the story should look, sound, feel, you know. I've lost you, haven't I? I, shit, I, no, I just insulted your art. That that is so rude. No. I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to. No, no, there's no need to apologize. I was was just thinking about what you said. I was listening. No, really, I I am so sorry. I I was just thinking, I I was talking out loud. Let me ask you something. Do you go to art museums? Yeah, all the time. How do you find that experience? Um, Meditative, inspiring, transformative. Yes, that's it, exactly. That's exactly how I feel when I watch a good film. Your paintings hang on a wall and your expectation is that someone will be moved by them. By looking at them, someone will feel something, right? It's really yeah. just the same experience you want to produce is just different mediums. Okay. Yeah, no, I see that. I Yeah, I hear you, but, but there are so many terrible movies and TV shows. I mean, it's not like I've never been in front of a TV. But, I'm sorry, but, but there is a ton of bad art in museums and galleries as well. There's art that's not inspiring or it's dull or commercial. But I think what we need to do is delineate between art and entertainment. I agree. And you know, there's something inherently pretentious about claiming there's no use or purpose for entertainment. Yeah, I guess. I um I mean I didn't I didn't make that claim exactly. You implied it. I implied it may be true for me, but it's not a universal truth. So you do nothing that's purely fun? Empty calories, no substance, but it just feels good. I I mean... You know what I meant. Sure. There's nothing that you do that lacks great, I don't know, purpose. You're telling me all of your endeavors are intellectually stimulating. Maybe. Kind of. I, I don't know. I mean, it's not... It's not some sort of like prescribed holier than thou position, but um, wait, I do go see a lot of jazz around town. Oh, of course you do. I could hear your eyes rolling. You're not wrong, James. <laughs> your point is that I'm missing out on something. No, not at all. God, that'd be ridiculously arrogant of a stranger to make that kind of claim. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yep, okay, no problem. You have to go? <clears throat> uh, soon. Yeah, our leading man is having trouble finding the motivation for his scene. What's the scene? He has to sit on a park bench and read a letter. And then what? That's it. That's the scene we're setting up. We're just going to capture him from different angles, reading. He needs to find motivation to read a letter. Oh. Actors can be very... Um... Pretentious? <laughs> Touché, my friend. <laughs> Is he um, 
Is he reading one of the interplanetary love letters? Uh, yeah. Okay. So the motivation would be wonder, disbelief? I can't believe I'm reading this letter from another planet. <laughs> I'm a fact. Yeah, you want me to stand in? Oh, wow. Thank you, James. <laughs> You're really going to use my suggestion, huh? Well, technically your direction. I'm using your direction. You know, there are times when you just, you just get too close to your own work and it just stops making sense. You don't have the questions anymore to the... No, I mean, not questions. What do I mean? The answers. You don't have the answers to the questions you created. Oh, do you know what I mean? It's it's absurd. Being an artist is absurd. Yeah. Amen. Hey, I, I was wondering, mm. how does he know the letter is from another planet? What if it's just mm. some random woman sending him letters pretending to be from another planet? And... How does the interplanetary postal system even work? <laughs> You're becoming a student of film against your own will. I'm not anti-film. I just don't know a lot about them. And I'm curious how you make a story like this work on screen. Uh, well, it's mostly world building. You draw up a world and you create all of the rules. Two worlds, in your case. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean... When it comes to anything surreal, like outside of your reality, it doesn't really matter how many planets are involved. It's Well, my job is to make it a great escape that just adds up within the rules and boundaries are created. Okay. So the letter. How is this guy certain? Oh, I'd need to tell you the whole backstory. I've got time. Now that I'm not racing to catch a train out of here. Yeah, I've got nothing but time. All right, let me check something. Hold on. Guys, how much longer? I've got about 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah, then let's make the most of it. Fine. Okay, in a nutshell, Oscar is working at a planetarium. Why do you choose the name Oscar? Can you say focus, James? We're short on time here. I like the name Oscar. That was the name of my cat growing up. Great, James. Now, Oscar works at this planetarium, not because he's particularly interested in galaxies and whatever. It's just a job he fell into once he graduated university. And at first, he loved his job. He loved the amazement on the patrons' faces while he showed them the films of our solar system on the high dome ceiling. He felt like he, felt like he was transporting people. Oh. Yeah, I haven't been to the planetarium since I was a kid. Oh, too passive for you? Anyway, Oscar's been working there for years and the magic has faded for him. So he's showing the same films of the same solar system over and over again. He's answering the same questions about the same solar system over and over again. Yeah, he's bored. Disillusioned, burnt yeah. out. Yes, 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 and yes. Until yeah. one yeah. day, actually, wait, I should say one night, he's thinking about quitting the planetarium, like assessing his life, wondering, what's next? Existential crisis. Right, so he's at the planetarium, and it's late, no one else is there, and he turns on the film, the film that he plays for the patrons, but for the first time ever, he watches it alone, and he's listening to the narration, getting sort of hypnotized by it, except the narration has changed. 
It's talking to him, using his name. Psychotic break? No. Oscar's enraptured. For the first time, he's really feeling the film. He's not just observing it, he's feeling it. How do we... How do we know he feels it? Like, the look on his face, I think. And... Anyway, when the film ends, he stands up and he looks around the dark theatre. Is someone playing a trick on him? Has he had some kind of awakening? Whatever the cause, in that moment, he feels like a changed man. Or is he? I mean, he did just hear voices, so... Right. But then, something else happens. The film comes on again. You mean like when there's that extra scene after the credits at, at the end of a movie? Exactly. And this scene shows Earth, but then, as the panorama swings round, Oscar sees there are two moons in the orbit of Earth. So he sits down. He's confused about what he's watching. He's thinking... Drugs. Tripping. Pot was laced with... I don't no. Know, something else. This... <laughs> listen. This time, there's no narration. It's just the hypnotic image of Earth and these two moons orbiting. And then uh. the letters. These letters are drifting down from the dome. Oscar's trance is broken. He sees these letters scattered about. He starts picking them up. Maybe they were left there by kids on a class trip? James? Yeah. Has it occurred to you that I do know where this story is going? Oh, right, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. So Oscar forms this stack of letters and he studies them for a moment. So the film is now just stars illuminating the dome ceiling, illuminating Oscar. He holds up one envelope and we, I mean, like we, the viewers, see that it's addressed to someone named Hugo. Just the first name on the envelope, Hugo. So Oscar looks around and he doesn't see anyone in the theatre and he carefully opens the letter and he reads it. But we hear the letter in VO from a woman. What's the VO? Voiceover. We hear this woman's voice reading a letter addressed to this Hugo guy. But she's not there? No, hence the voiceover. Got it. Right, so this woman, this letter writer, her name is Eloise. Why Eloise? Really, James? I'm curious. Backstory. I I, I need to understand I love the Eloise storybooks as a child and it's always been my favorite name okay so Eloise is writing to Hugo trying to reach him ever since he vanished through the wormhole in the planetarium theater she's not sure how to get him back so she mailed him a a letter how please James I beg of you just listen anyway Oscar is completely flummoxed he's had this bizarre experience in planetarium he doesn't know anyone named eloise or hugo and he definitely doesn't know anything about wormholes but these letters are most definitely describing his exact current location and there's even something a touch familiar in the writing something he can't quite name and as he continues to read through the letters he starts to grasp that what eloise is describing isn't his experience at all not our experience on this planet everything is slightly different but how is it different? I mean, obviously, aside from the two moons thing. Oh, the historical timelines are completely different. 
but most importantly to the narrative, these two people are living these divergent yet parallel lives are connecting on this. I'm also guessing their tides would be totally different, right? With two moons? They would totally affect it. Sorry. Sorry. You're so, right. as I was saying, historical events that have happened here on our Earth haven't happened on Eloise's Earth. There are some notable physical differences to their world, too. But why is all of this happening now? What what happened to make Eloise send a letter to Hugo? I was getting to that. So Eloise works at the planetarium while she's studying astronomy at university. She discovers the wormhole completely by accident. Can I get a couple more minutes? Um, where was I? Right, so... Yeah, bottom line, Hugo volunteered to test out the wormhole and travel to the side, but he vanishes while trying to cross over to Aura. Eloise is scared of vanishing into the wormhole, so she decides to send written letters to see if Hugo or anyone else will respond. And ultimately, Oscar learns how to respond to her, and then through their interplanetary correspondence, they fall in love. Wait. Eloise was in love with Hugo? Uh, yeah. Maybe. You can't maybe love someone. You either love them or you don't. I'm Eloise loved Hugo. Okay. Then this is a sad story for Hugo. I mean, the guy goes missing, and while searching for him, his girlfriend falls for another guy? On another planet, even. I mean, that's insane. Ah, uh, but I never said Hugo loved Eloise. Semantics. No, not at all. Pretty important. Also, I'd like to point out that you've got no idea how the film ends. Fair enough. But Eloise now loves Oscar, and Oscar loves Eloise. Yes. Huh. And they can't be together. For obvious reasons? Obvious reasons. But in the meantime, it's lovely and romantic and bizarre. Jules? Yeah? I still don't understand how they send the letters. It's a bit elaborate. It's it's more of a case of, like, show, don't tell. I'd rather you see it than I explain it to you. I like it. You're just saying that because we're strangers. It's reflexive politeness. No, I no, I genuinely like it. it. It's a metaphor for life. While having slightly altered experiences, right? I mean, it's perspective. Your film is about perspective and your vehicle for telling the story is using two different planets. Hmm. It's like I don't it's like when you meet someone and your ideas and thoughts on the world are so different that you say, it's like we're from two different planets. Only we're not, right? Even in your film, in your, your story, Eloise and Oscar, are, they're both humans. They just have wildly different definitions of their, their lives to overcome, if they choose to do so. Yeah. How many of us are, are brave enough to overcome our perspective, right? Say, fuck it, and jump on someone else's ride. Or in this case, I guess, planet. So, yeah, I mean, in that case, it's also about bravery. And maybe it's about fear. Empathy. Willingness to accept someone else's story at face value. 
matter how unlikely or improbable it may be. Yeah, what makes it worth the leap to possibly land in someone else's life? The expense of everything that you know and love. Hello? I'm I'm here. Oh. I thought maybe you'd dropped off. Or... Sorry, no, I was just I was just listening and thinking about what you said. Huh. Last question. What does the title mean? Uh, well, on Eloise's planet, the moons dream of each other, and she learned this at the planetarium. So she asks Oscar if his one moon dreams of the sun at night. I know, it's nonsensical. It's poetic. I think it works better when you see the actual scene instead of me describing it. just makes it sound... Pretentious? <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably. But it's not... Uh, you know what? I lied. Mm-hmm. Oh, this should be good. <laughs> I lied about have, not having any more questions. I, I do have another question. Okay. Would you like to talk again on the phone? That was a legitimately stupid question, right? <laughs> no, I'm just... um. I'm just thinking about my answer. Why do you want to speak again? Because we connected and it was so random and you were the sign for me to stay here in Paris and I was the sign for you that... Uh, Reminder, not sign. Remind, yeah, reminder, sign, whatever. I don't, I don't know, don't you think it's kind of wild that we connected in this totally random way and and we contributed something to each other? (laughs) These two complete strangers. Yeah, that's all true. Yeah, so it's worth it to see if this was just the first date effect or if... Uh, Sorry, we're most decidedly not on a date. Sorry. Um, What I meant was when people meet for the very first time and they connect, they put on their best face, right? They're like the best version of themselves to keep the other person engaged. Mm -hmm. So all I'm saying is we kind of just did that. But, but I, I don't know. I think there's more. I think this could be the, the beginning uh, of a beautiful friendship. Casablanca. See? <laughs> Aren't you impressed? Yeah, a bit. So you'll do it? You'll call again? Well, to be fair, we did mostly just talk about me. Yes, right. Yeah, next time we'll we'll make up for that by talking about me exclusively. Oh, you want me to renege on this precarious deal? <laughs> no, of course no, of course not. No, it doesn't matter what we talk about. You know, I'm I'm intrigued, I confess. That's a yes? Yes, it's a yes. But we'll need ground rules, I think. Oh ground rules. Yeah, like oh like we only speak once per week and I think we should limit the calls to half an hour. Sounds like a prison rule. One call <laughs> one call per week for inmates, right? It's quite possible I've subconsciously borrowed it. Hmm. Those are the terms? For now. Deal. Deal. Jules? 
Yeah. All right. This is my last last question. <laughs> okay. Does, does Oscar ever tell Eloise if the moon dreams of the sun? I guess you'll just have to wait and see. A cliffhanger. <laughs> All right. I really do have to go now. Okay. We'll talk next week. Yeah. <laughs> already dark outside. I didn't even notice this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, good night, James. Until next time. Until next time. Learn more about Jules and James at www.meetjulesandjames.com. So next week, you'll hear my conversation with series creator and writer Jennifer Schwed. We'll talk about the origins of the show, why she chose to make it, and whether or not a piece of art can be apolitical. If you're going to get into this show, and I do recommend that you do, be advised that it is currently on hiatus. So the first season currently ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, and Jennifer is working on a sweet musical about the 19th Amendment right now, so it might be a little bit until season one is completed. So if you race through the existing 21 episodes, I want you to adjust your expectations, because an end is planned, but as of this podcast, that end does not yet exist. Protect your hearts, people! Okay, and I must protect my voice. It is, after all, the moneymaker. Well, and so is our Patreon page, patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. And now, the credits. Our theme music is Danger Did You Do by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreau. Our air conditioner has a compressor that goes buzz. Our interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau. Our social media manager is James Oliva. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhalge. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. How low can we go with sick David voice? I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. All storytellers welcome. That was good. Keeping it. And now, (coughs) oh, geez. Mm, No, no, focus. What? Don't leave it in, Matt. Don't leave it in.